We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read this morning verses 13 through 18, the last part of this chapter. This is our third or fourth of this last part in series. And this morning we're focusing largely on verse 17 and 18. Uh, Again, knowing that God wants us to know things, God has not revealed everything there is to know to us, but he's revealed what he wants us to know, and that's in particularly true in verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, okay? So we're going to read verses 13 through 18 out loud together. If you'd like to join with me, we're going to begin now. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And all God's people said, we need to be comforted today. And we're going to talk about this verse, these two verses. We've already come up through verse 18 It bears giving some context to this, remembering that there were believers that were concerned. The resurrection uh, was always a question. What happened to those that died? And there were some, you remember, in in Christ's time on the earth that were questioning the resurrection and wondering if there was a a resurrection and how did it work and, and a lot of mystery surrounding that and a lot of false teaching as well. And just... For whatever reason, one of the first things that happened today is talking with one of our fellow believers about all the doctrinal disbelief over the resurrection and explaining it away in in one fashion or another. But as we look at this, this is a doctrine that God in particular has to teach us about so that we will know the truth and know what he has to say. And he says for that purpose that he does not desire us to somehow have an ignorance over those who have died. Now, is there ignorance over that today? What is the most common belief about people who have died? What happens to them? What is the most common belief about uh, people who have died? Now, I, I, I guess I'm guessing over what is the most common belief. I will tell you what I hear most often, that somehow you're going to be the Clarence and get... Uh, uh, your angel's wings when that little bell sounds. And uh, uh, when you die, you're going to get what? What are you going to get? When you die, you're going to get a harp and you're going to live on a cloud. And you get that probably from some Tom and Jerry cartoon somewhere, I think. Uh, but this is commonly taught. Now, so, so vague is doctrine regarding, uh, or I should say accurate teaching on this, That you not only have the teaching that, hey, everybody's going to heaven, which the doctrinal term that that would be is universalism. The Bible does not teach that everybody's going to heaven. Uh, And I would say, and all God's people said amen, but 
the, the idea is to understand that this is what God says. Not everybody's going to heaven. So Christ died for all, has given an invitation for all, but not everybody is going to heaven. So the idea then is that somehow some people will either believe in annihilation, that you're going to escape God in judgment, uh, because when you die, you just simply cease to exist. And there's also then this belief that if I believe it hard enough, that will make it so. If I just believe this hard enough, then that becomes my reality. So people believe all kinds of stuff, right? What are some other doctrines that people believe? Well, reincarnation is one. And, you know, that somehow that's a, an encouragement to some. The idea that you're going to come back as a different creature creature, you know, uh, ever thought you might come back as a chicken? <laughs> I mean, how do you decide what you, you know, who knows what you're going to come back as? So, um, somehow in that next life is going to be better. You know, there's all kinds of different theories out there, but we're not after a theory. We're not after simply a doctrine. We're after the truth that has been given by God. So this morning, my goal is in verses 17 and 18 to underscore that truth. So, verse 17. Now, we've already talked about a lot of these things and made, made points that maybe weren't even necessarily needing to be made. That is, even the direction of the rapture, uh, knowing back in verse 16 uh, that there was this descending and verse 18, be caught up together in the clouds, meet the Lord in the air. And we talked some about that. And... I think in talking about those things, you can be emphasizing things that sure the Lord wants us to know, but we might miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that there is going to be a meeting for all the saints. And uh, as I was thinking about that concept, uh, are you ever late for your meetings? Do you ever find it difficult to get to your meetings on time, uh, like a church meeting? Uh, there's a general rule that the further away you live, the more on time you are. Why that's true, I don't know. Uh, you generally wind up preparing earlier so you can get there, I guess. Uh, but this meeting is going to be a meeting where God calls together all saints. Those who have gone on before, those who've died, and those who are yet remaining. So if you had a, a druther... Uh, I'm sure you're like me. Uh, anybody really hoping the Lord will come back before you have to see death? Uh, I, I know I've, I've talked to some. They, you know, they're, they're not as fearful of, over the experience uh, of dying. Uh, but the Bible talks about the valley or the shadow of death and something that we haven't experienced. But listen, God does tell us things that we can know. And I want to warn everybody here as we dive into this passage about somebody selling you a book about their experience of life after death. And it wasn't too awful long ago that there was a story about some kid who died, and, and my understanding is that it came out later that, of course, all that stuff was fabricated. But you buy this book for $19.99, and you'll know something about life after death, where God has already told us. And so this morning, we anchor on his truth, and the point of verse 17 is that there's going to be a meeting. And it's a meeting that you will not miss because you're not in charge of the timing, God is. It's a meeting that you don't have to set your alarm clock for. 
It's a meeting that uh, you don't have to worry about whether or not you will actually get the notice. Uh, God has taken charge of making sure that every believer will hear the sound. And those who've died before us, the Lord is bringing those people with him. And this meeting, as he said, is a meeting that is going to be in the air. There is a, there is a location, a place where all of us who are remaining yet are going to see the Lord together in that meeting. Now, the other teaching of this passage, but, well, I should say before I get to that, I want to underscore this as well. We are incredibly arrogant as people today with all that we think we know, so arrogant that we are foolishly blind to the ignorances we maintain and persist in. For instance, I, I mean, let me ask you, do you believe today that we have a clue what we're doing with coronavirus? I, I really believe generations in the future, I'm going to tell you what, if there was any page of history that needs to be torn up, it's this one. If there's any statue that needs to be torn down, it's the toilet paper statues, <clears throat> it's, the, it's the mask statues, it's, it's, these, it's these social status things of, of I'm safe and you're not and you're, you're evil and I'm... Listen, we are, as a people, still trying to figure this out. And, and I'm just going to ask, especially of our seniors, you have seen it over and over again where you hear something to be true only to find out later, oh, we've changed our mind on that. Am I right? And that's exactly where we are today. We are right there today and... You say stuff like I'm saying to you today, and all of a sudden, you know, if you're not politically correct, you're the ignorant. We say that we know so much, and we don't. But God tells us something we can know. And this is the point of verse 17. What he wants you to know is that there's going to be a meeting in the air, and that meeting is going to be with the Lord himself. Now, it goes on to say, first of all, it's the Lord who is coming back, and he's coming back. Why? Well, there's actually a lot of answers for that, but I want you to know that he is coming back for you. He's coming to get you. Do you realize that you do not have to initiate as a believer the process of going to meet the Lord in the air. He is the one who will call you. He is the one who will make the sound. He is the one who will do the gathering. He is the one that will pull everybody into place. And he, was, he is the one who will eject you out of this planet to be with him in the air. Do you wonder what that's going to be like? I do. You've seen probably the little videos and You've seen, maybe there's, I think there's some show series on this. And, you know, supposedly when you go up to meet the Lord in the air, there's going to be piles of clothes here and there. I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> I distracted everybody with that, I know. <laughs> but the Lord has told us there are things we can know, and, and we miss we miss the glory of the truth 
because sometimes we don't know the details. Now, the Lord has actually given a lot of details. But what I want us to all understand is that the Lord is personally coming back, and he's coming back for you. Now, if you die knowing the Lord before he comes, the Bible says you're ushered into his presence. Your soul is with the Lord. You're not in some soul sleep. You're actually in the presence of the Lord. And when you go, what else happens when you go to glory? The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is what? The death of his saints. Somehow there's a rejoicing over believers coming into the presence of God. It's a rejoicing moment. It is a, I, I don't know if all the angels sing. I don't know what happens. But I don't think it's Peter at the, at, at the pearly gates you know, asking you some 10 questions and see if you got them right. Is the Lord that we go to if, if, he, if we die before he comes? But if he comes before we have left this physical frame, he will take us out of this earth to meet him in the air. And here's what he says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Think about that. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We will ever, forever, on end after that, be with our Savior. Now, I am going to take this opportunity and open up the other scriptures that teach on these doctrines. And one of those would be John chapter 14. And you know, many of you know the passage well. So I'll give you a moment to turn there, John 14. We do have a lot of scripture to pursue yet before our morning is done in these verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> so, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And can I tell you, believer, that's the point. That is really the point of our existence. Here in this world below, God has called you to live for his glory. God has called you to serve him. And yes, there are things we can do, but the greatest thing that God has called us to is to walk in fellowship with him daily, to be in communion with our Savior, to simply go where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do, to walk with him, to trust in him, have hope in him, and until he returns, look for his coming. And while we look for his coming, be about the business that he has called us to do. But in that time and in that looking of the unfolding of God's plan, John 14, 1 through 6, you'll enjoy reading it with me, so shall we? John 14, 1 through 6, read with me. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, <clears throat> that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you come to Jesus? Have you come to him? If you've come to Christ, would you give a rounding amen? amen. Are you glad you're, you've been found by Christ? Do you understand? Do I understand the great glory that God has given us? Undeserving all of us are. 
worthy none of us are. Who are we to receive the forgiving grace of Christ? But God in his love gave his son to die for us that everyone who put their faith in him trusted their souls to his care. He promises that you are going to be with him forever and here's how it's gonna work. If you die, you're going to him. If he comes back before you die and you know him as your savior, he's gonna gather you unto himself. And he says over and over again, I'm preparing that place for you. I'm the one who's doing this. It's not something you can do for yourself. The promise of saving grace, the promise of glory is all the glory and saving grace of God. All he's called you and, you and I to do is to place our faith in him. But if we have, it's as sure as the place in which you're sitting today. Here you have this experience in this room. You might have someone sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. You see these people around you. This is what you're experiencing tactily. You can feel, touch, see all this around you. But even more sure is the coming of Christ and our hope in the glory that is to come. It's as sure as the resurrection of our Savior. 1 Corinthians tells us what will happen at the resurrection. We often turn to these passages for encouragement. So, many of you already know it's 1 Corinthians 15, so take your Bibles there. There are so many things to look at at what God has for us and looking forward to glory. So whether we die and go to him or the trumpet sounds and he calls us up to himself, here's what he says in verses 50 through 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, and I will read this for us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, everybody with me? When you read about mysteries in the Bible, there are times where God makes those mysteries known. The gospel is a mystery that is now made known. Okay? It's, it's clear the plan that God has given for salvation. But now he's going to unfold this mystery regarding heaven and what's in front of us. He says, we shall not all sleep. And we've already looked at this before. Sleep here is a euphemistic phrase that identifies those who have died. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet, what does it say? Shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, here you're going to have it again, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when, read verse 54 out loud with me. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in <clears throat> death is swallowed up in there will be no more death no more dying this these concepts are deeper are more rich are more grand than we can know we cannot even fathom what it means for this corruptible to put on incorruption 
but I believe it's better than you can imagine. If I remember, I hope I remember the verse right, and if I don't, you're going to have to find it for me. I think, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It's the passage that I often go to to talk about heaven. If not, somebody's going to Google it and find it for me. It says, but as, as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I believe that passage is saying, you can imagine how good heaven is and you won't really get close. You can imagine being in the presence of God and, and, and it won't even come close to how good you think it is, it'll be that much better. Eyes not seen nor ear heard and neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. These are truths that you hold in your hands as a believer. All right, so we come back then and we understand that in 1 Corinthians 15 that part of that means that this corruptible body is gonna put on incorruption. This mortal Life is going to put on immortality. Have you ever dreamed of being a superhero? Have mercy with all the Avengers movies out there. Everybody's imagining being Iron Man or Hulk or somebody. And, and I, I, I know it's not, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be very dignified when I do this. It's not going to look dignified. But my little Joe was at the Sterling's house the other day. And as I said, he was running around the yard, and he's doing this. And we asked what, he, and we didn't even have to ask him what he was doing. As he was running by, he had the biggest smile on his face. And by the way, if you're three years old, you think you are lightning fast. You do. And as he was going by, he only sees about two or three feet in front of him, and he said, I'm flying, I'm flying. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you that I do believe that we will be able to fly in glory. I'm going to tell you why. The Bible says we're going to have glorified bodies like Christ. Christ ascended. Christ is coming down. Christ walked through walls. Pretty cool. <laughs> Some of you are like, pretty disturbing. <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, you don't know, I don't know everything that God has, but it's better than you think. It's better than you think. Do you know that you don't even know the, even, I don't care how healthy you are this morning, you have the sin stain on your life and you feel the curse of sin in your body right now and you may not even know it. You may feel, say, well, I feel healthy, I feel fine. You are living under the pressure of a sin-cursed world. You do not even know. It is better than you think. The world has never seen an event like this that God is speaking of. And just like the world had not experienced a worldwide flood in the time of Noah. But just as sure as God has always kept his word in the past, he will keep his word for the future. Now, <clears throat> what do you do with this? What do you do with this? There is a very direct admonition in this passage. It's a very short verse. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and look at verse 18. It's a very short verse. He says... Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These words are to be comforting to us. Now, I looked up this word comfort, and this is what the word means. 
Um, it has the idea of someone who's concerned, okay? It has the idea of someone who's uh, worked up, bothered about something. I have in mind my family sitting outside at our porch area, especially early spring. Um, if it, I'll tell you what, I'm going to change illustrations. I was, I was at the hospital with Nora this last week because she was getting some tests done. There were two um, strong enough Spanish background ladies that they had kind of the dialect, and they were speaking English, but they had the dialect and sound of, of Spanish. And one of the ladies, I was sitting on a bench, one of the ladies says, you have a B, you have a B. They were behind me, and I'm telling you, out of nowhere, this lady started screaming. I, and I, I have to tell you, I love that kind of thing. It just, it tickles me to no end. So she started screaming, get it off, get it off. And she was hitting her, her dress. And, and after she finally felt like she got it off, I watched what she hit off, and it was a grasshopper. <clears throat> I never, I mean, I could have picked it up and gone over and said, hey, this is what it was. But they had probably screamed. I should have, right? Anyway, um, but this idea of someone who's worked up, who's, who's frothed up about, about the cares and about the scary and about the ugly and about what's going to happen and, and I don't know and uncertainty. And that is our world today. But not you. But not you. So understand this. The word comfort means to call someone to your side. To call them to your side and speak words of encouragement to them. That's what it means. So yes, it's comforting. It means, it means the word that's here. The picture is to pull that one who's concerned. Pull them to your side and speak the words of encouragement. But the words of encouragement are spelt in four letters. H-O-P-E. We as believers, have hope. And it is supposed to make a difference. And your hope doesn't make a difference in your life for very specific reasons. The reason it doesn't make a difference in your life and in my life. Now, by the way, I'm not saying whole, whole, uh, whole bucket. I'm not saying that it never makes a difference. But you know what I mean as a believer, there are times where though you are a believer and though you have all these promises, you don't feel encouraged. I'm going to tell you why that is. It's because we get focused on everything where you will never find hope. That is the wisdom of man. What man can save you from tomorrow. What man can promise you. What man can do for you. And we historically have proved over and over again with our greatest achievements, we are small. We are small. But God is big. And that big God, listen to this, that big God has you in his sights. So much so that he has a place prepared for you, he has a home for you, and he's going to bring you to himself. 
either through death where you're ushered into his presence or he's going to come back in his timing and come back and call all of us together. Titus 2, 13 and 14, if you would. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Now, by the way, listen. I'm going to tell you that you and I need some attitude adjustments when we come to church, and that's, it's the Word of God that gives us those attitude adjustments. And you've been hearing, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't like it. You have to hear some of the world stuff going on in here too <clears throat> as everybody discusses and talks about what our society is doing. But folks, we need to lift high Jesus. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to get our hope filled by coming back to Jesus and remembering all the promises he has for us. And I'm going to say this. I'm glad that we have heaven to look forward to, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm glad I've got Jesus right now. I'm glad my Jesus is enough for me right now. I do not have to join the cacophony of distraction and frothing and fomenting and violence and disruption. You know, we may have to live amongst this stuff, but we've got Christ. And we've got him right now, right where we are. When I put my head on my pillow at night, I do not have to be worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have to be worried about how things are going to play out. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be good. But I do know this. Whatever God has given you, he has called you to it. And his grace will sustain you through it. So anchor in the rock of your salvation. Let the person of Christ and fellowship with him consume your being instead of all the noise of the world. We live and need Jesus. We need him. We need him. We anchor in him. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Would you read it with me? Titus 2, 13 and 14. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. It is going to be, it is going to be, it is going to be a glorious appearing. How many of you like to see the fireworks this 4th of July? Every, every, I, think, I think the planet loves fireworks except for dogs and cats, uh, but... Maybe horses too, yeah. I like to see spectacles like that. I think it's cool. I'm not supposed to like the illegal ones. I clap quietly. The appearance, the appearance of Christ for us will be something unlike anything we've ever seen. It's worthy of thought. It's worthy of your time. And I, I, it's not fun to ask the question. As I look across this room, I could say, I don't have to ask, I know that many of you are dealing with pain of some sort. I'm going to tell you, pain is a great humbler. And it, it'll, it'll rock you to your, to your core because it is, it's just so distracting. I just want to commend you that even in the midst of things like that, with all that you can, run to Christ. Speak your concern. Speak your pain. Speak, speak 
in fellowship with him. And know this, that he is our savior. He is our deliverer. That is going to save us from all of that stuff we're experiencing now. It is glorious appearing, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read it for us. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to go ahead and start for lack of time, or sake, of time, sake of time here. We've got a, a few other passages to read. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, Acts 1, 6 through 11. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, a brief parenthetical. They're wondering about the kingdom being set up now. And, and he says, look, it's not for you to know the timing. It's to, for you to know what I have for you to do. And that message is for us today as well. Verse 9, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine being there in the presence? And from everything we know about language, it happened just this way, that Christ is ascending in their presence. They watch him, they watch him go up. And while they look steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He is coming again. This same Jesus. And the idea is, I don't know how long they stood there. I, would, I can imagine if we were there and we saw Christ ascend in our presence as the sky went blank with, with seeing him no more, I can imagine all of us just standing there for some time wondering what's going to happen next. It, are, are we going to see him come back? What are we seeing? And, and these messengers disrupt it and say, look, get to what you were called for. Get to what you were called for. Now, I've been meaning to say this for several weeks, and I want to say this this morning to all of us. We, as believers, are called to such a time as this. You are the believer that God has entrusted with the doctrine and truth of his word at this time, no matter what the world around us has done in history, no matter what's in front, we are called to this time and this place to live under his glory and to manifest him and to be about the Father's business. So are we distracted? Yes. Is the world having an impact on the gospel? Yes. It is. I, I, just, read, I just read Holly's last email. And there is no doubt with the closure of of her area that they have been stymied in giving the gospel. You know what? We have been in the same place. We need to be very purposeful about being what God has called us for 
we're called us to, and knowing that God has not made a mistake, that God has not lost control, that there is no some grand uh, oops going on in the timing of God, God is still in charge of all that happens in the world, and God has a plan. Amen? For sake of time, I'm not going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 4 again. I have it in my notes to read to you again because it's worthy. Put your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Would you take your Bibles to Matthew 24? Matthew 24. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36. But of the day, Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also come the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Read verse 42 out loud. Watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 43 and 44, I will read, but, now, but know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Christ is coming back. He is coming to this place. Luke 12, take your Bibles over there, Luke 12. For your own consideration, maybe read verses 22 through 34, but I'm going to pick up at verse 35. So maybe in your family devotions, pick up with this broader section later. But Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto them that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this note, if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. These passages 
all assure us of many truths that our Savior is a resurrected Savior and He is alive today. That all of our loved ones who know Christ and have died are in His presence right now. That God has a plan that He is working in the world today. Now, there's a lot of doctrine behind this, and I'm not taking time to go into it, but you might ask, why has the Lord not come back already? I believe that we, this age of awareness is called the age of grace or the church age, and it is a time where every day that God stays his hand, more people are saved, more people turn to Christ. I'm thankful for every soul the Lord saved, and I, I know like you, I think many of us would say, Lord, hasten your coming. But is there in that message a sense of urgency? Are you with me? Is there a sense of urgency? Let me ask you, are all your family members saved? Hello? What about your neighbors? It wasn't very, very long ago that here in our valley we had an earthquake. I understand they're more common in maybe California or some other places and and what you begin to experience in those things is, uh, you know, uh, some fear over what's going to happen. And when these things come to your face, they tell you everything that you really have ever known about this planet. Nothing and no one is permanent on this planet. There is coming a day where we will leave this world behind. The invitation of the gospel today is for everyone in this room to know him personally. And can I say this? This message is a call for every believer to stop playing games about your religion and walk in fellowship with your Savior today. I'm going to say that God is not nearly as interested in your form of religion as he is your relationship of walking with him. And here we are at this time in this place, and we've got a job to do. You've got your calling of being the witness to the people around your life. I've got mine. And we need to be busy about the Father's business. So this morning as we close this message, let's get our eyes on Christ. Let's get our eyes on the fact that he is coming again. And can I say this? May we spend these vapors of days this fleeting moment, may we spend them wisely and may we use them for the glory of God to whom we go and for whom we are looking. I want your heart today to be able to leave this place encouraged about your relationship with the Lord, about what he's doing, and about where you're going. And further, where your loved ones who know Christ have gone. Knowing those things, let's rise to the calling that we have in Christ Jesus.